friends. Thanks for checking out the podcast today. I appreciate y'all listening. Uh, we're going to do some uh, Advent stuff today. Uh, first, let me just say, I have really kind of gotten in to Advent, and I want y'all to be in as well. Uh, I've been reading uh, BZ's Advent Reader, and I absolutely love it. Uh, if you haven't gotten a copy of it, uh, go do so, and you can get the you know last couple of weeks of Advent with me. It's 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 brilliant. I love it. And um, so the first Advent podcast we had uh, we had BZ on, and then we had uh, Father James Martin talk about about some Advent. Uh, today I'm going to play a podcast. Uh, it's not a podcast. It's a sermon that I did on Advent. Actually, my first Advent sermon. And I just wanted you to kind of hear what what I've been working on. Uh, I've been doing some stuff, some teaching out of Revelation 12. And one of the really cool things about uh, this sermon, along with a lot of stuff I get to do, is that I get to do it with my friends who are also preaching it. But the cool thing is I started before them. And so it looks like I'm the first person to do this. And so I've got a friend, Rick, up in Fort Worth and a friend in uh, in Nashville, uh, Josh Graves, who who are also doing it. But like I went first over and it's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they copied off you, Luke. And I'm like, yeah, I know. They're just copycats, plagiarism guys. Come on. Uh, I, I'm, I'm kind of joking. Uh, Rick is, is like a, a godfather kind of in the churches of Christ. And he's someone I look up to so much. And uh, the other day, he's like, "Hey, can you can you email me? I want to see the stuff that you, that you did." Uh, he sent that to me and Josh. And I definitely spent like an hour of just like cleaning up my notes just so they looked more legible because I've been mocked by some of my friends for the way that um, like my notes don't always seem the most legible because they're not written to be a manuscript. But uh, anyway. All that to say, we're doing Advent stuff. Uh, I'm going to play that. First, let me tell you about uh, an event that I'm going to be at from January 23rd through 25th. It is the Pastor, Priests, and Guides event that our friend Aaron Nequist has been putting on. Uh, they're going to be down in Houston at Ecclesia West Side. And I'm very excited. There's some great people there that you're going to recognize. Uh, obviously, Aaron Nequist, his wife, Shauna Nequist, will be there as well. Shauna, obviously, she's an extremely um, brilliant writer. Sean Palmer, who is from Ecclesia Church in Houston, and Ronald Rollheiser. Father Ronald Rollheiser has been on the podcast a handful of times. Uh, a lot of people know Richard Rohr, and I've been reading Rollheiser for a long time, and I've been wondering how come all these Rohr fans don't know Rollheiser as well. I mean, their names sound the same. They're both priests. I mean, they're basically, you know, they, you know, whatever. They should they should be friends. They probably are friends. Anyway, um, I love Father, Father Ronald Rollheiser. His stuff has been extremely meaningful to me. His book, Holy Longing, my goodness, it is like the first chapter in that book is one of the best chapters I've ever read. Uh, I still remember reading it uh, you know, 15 years ago, and he's going to be there. And even before Aaron reached out and said, hey, would you talk about this on the podcast? I was already planning on coming to this event because I wanted to hear from Father Ronald Rollheiser particularly. I've gotten to meet some of these other people as well, um, and... Like, you're going to love them. So uh, join me January 23rd through 25th in Houston. They have uh, other gatherings in New York and Chicago. Check them out. Uh, now, let me remind you a few details. Um, it is a holy space to begin healing from the past few years. It is about solidarity with others on this journey. It is not a conference, but it is a retreat. Like, that sounds great. So anyway, check it out. Uh, priests, pastors, or excuse me, the, the website is pastorspriestsandguides.com. Check it out and uh, hope to see you there. And uh, without further ado, here is uh, a sermon I did about uh, the beginning of Advent. So without further ado, here's, here's more of me talking. We are glad that each and every one of you is here today. 
Thank you for investing your morning with us. We're glad that each and every one of you have decided to be here today, so thank you so much for worshiping with us. I need to tell you one thing very quickly about myself and what's happening this morning. You need to be aware of up front. Two weeks ago, something changed in my life. I started drinking coffee. Yeah, two weeks ago. And so this morning, what's coursing through my veins is a weird mixture of caffeine and cold medicine. So we're just going to jump right in, okay? I'm just warning you what's going to happen. It's going to be something different. I can't promise how it's going to end. I just know it's going to be a ride, all right? Isaiah 2, the words of Scripture tell us these things. In days to come, in days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills and all the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat the swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord will be the highest of all the mountains, so that everyone, not just God's people, not just the Jewish people, but all nations to say, this is where we want to be and this is what we need. And so we will all go to the mountain of the Lord and we'll all say, you make things right. You be the judge. And what will happen is this is the one who will take the enemy's weapons, will turn swords into plowshares, will turn spears into pruning hooks, will take things that bring death and destruction instead will turn them into a source of abundance and feasting. In those days, this will all happen. And it will be good news for everyone in those days. But those days aren't always these days, right? These days that we live in aren't those days, are they? These days feel like we're just running around in circles, that we're just trying to get enough bread to get through one more day. Maybe the truest description of my days is a phrase you might have heard before, and maybe it resonates with you like it does with me. The phrase goes like this, the days are long, but the years are short, right? The days, there's a lot to do. There's a lot to accomplish. There's a lot to fix. But then you look back and go, how come all those days turned into years like that? This is the tension we live in of those days which we all want and these days which we all live in. This time of year, Advent, is a time that kind of reframes us from these days to those days. The word Advent means the arrival or the coming. And during this season, we await on December 25th to celebrate how Jesus arrived on earth 2,000 years ago, but more so, we anticipate when these days become those days once more, when Jesus arrives again. We're waiting for those days to become these days. But in the meantime, we just live in these days which seem to be so surface level and shallow. 
We get caught up in just what we can see and experience and feel right here and right now. And, and maybe no more s- symptomatic of that reality is, is Christmas, especially when we're kids, right? When, when, when we're like Brooke kid, Brooke's kids saying, in 15 days it's Christmas, we're celebrating because you know what's going to happen in 15 days. The one thing that marks all Christmases for kids, presents, Right? Christmas is about presents when you're a kid. It's about what you ask for and what you're going to get. If you ask me what happened on Christmas in the year 1991, I'll tell you what happened. I finally got the starter jacket that I desperately needed. It was a starter jacket with the face of my hero from San Antonio, Texas, David Robinson, the Admiral on it. And so finally, I had David Robinson's picture over my heart because that's where it belonged. Because that's where it was. It was in my heart. And finally, December 25th, 1991, my parents gave me the jacket that I desperately needed. The starter jacket had the teal on the back, David Robinson's face on the front, and there was joy in my heart. Because I got a present that I wanted. And many of us see Christmas like that when you're a kid. It's just about the presents. But eventually, you start to unwrap the real meaning of what Christmas is. And you experience the truth in Jesus' words. The words that Jesus said that it is better to give than to receive. And you unwrap the real meaning of Christmas. It's not the presence you get, but there's something deeper that matters. But getting presence is the way of the flesh, and that's what we live in. It's it's the way of these days. To live in the flesh, to think about this stuff. And that's how people naturally work. Many of us remember the day like it was yesterday, the day was 1990, excuse me, 1943, when the American psychologist Abram Maslow released his paper, A Theory of Human Motivation. You guys read that, right? Or maybe I'm the only one with the psychologist's father who made me read this as a child. Nevertheless, in 1943, this American psychologist named Abram Maslow releases this paper, which becomes his hierarchy of human needs. It looks like this. He says, at the very beginning, we have this physiological need. We want bread to eat, and eventually we move up, and we want safety, and then we want longing, belonging and love, and then it's esteem, and then it's the way we think, and then it's the aesthetic, and eventually you move all the way up until this erudite way of experiencing all reality, but it, it doesn't start there. We start down here. We just need to have food to eat and a sense of safety. It's the way of the flesh. Which we as Christians know, this is how we're wired. We start living by bread alone. But eventually there's a switch that turns where you realize that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You move from these days to those days. And you think about those days instead of just these days. Are you following me? And this is what happens on Christmas where the very earthly, practical reality which you and I live in is merged together with those days which are to come. And there's this mixture of the here and now, but also with the what one day will be. That's what happened 2,000 years ago. Philip Yancey writes it this way in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, when Yancey writes, As a Christian, I believe we live in parallel worlds. One world consists of hills and lakes and barns and politicians and shepherds watching over their flocks by night. The other consists of angels 
and sinister forces and somewhere out there places called heaven and hell. One night in the cold, in the dark, among the wrinkled hills of Bethlehem, those two worlds came together at a dramatic point of intersection. God took on the restraints of mortality. Where the world we live in, the world of the flesh, is interrupted by the world of the spirit and invites us to live into that. And and many of us continue to live just where we are. And so we store up treasures on earth where moth and rush destroy because we can't step into the spirit and live in such a way that we store up treasures on heaven where moth and rush do not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Many of us live on this earth where our enemy is flesh and blood because we can't move into the spiritual realm where we understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against the powers and principalities of this age. Many of us live in this age thinking we just need more bread, maybe more bread to eat or bread in our wallet because we don't realize that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which comes from the mouth of God. And Advent is a time to remember that one day we can step out of these days and go in to those days. Where the way of the Lord is elevated above everything else and everyone wants to be a part of it and everyone wants God to set things right and God to take the ways of this world and mold and form them into ways not of death and destruction but of love and feasting and abundance. And Advent is a time that we continue to anticipate those days. I told you guys I was on caffeine, okay? I can't help it. I'm getting excited. It's not bad, we can too. And and so this year for Advent, we're going to look not at maybe the stories that those of us who've been lucky enough to live in the life of the church for years know, not the stories of Matthew and Luke, the story of a little baby in a barn with shepherd and magi showing up, but it's a story not from an earthly perspective, but from a cosmic perspective, the viewpoint of angels. And so our text is going to be from the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 12. And let me just give you a warning. The book of Revelation requires us to read things differently, right? Because if you read it in the way of the flesh, you're going to get caught up. You're going to be confused. Kind of like this gentleman who's trying to decipher the salt and pepper shaker that his girlfriend gave him, but he can't compute with the words that are on the salt and pepper shaker. Take a look at this video. So my girlfriend just got me these cutesy little salt and pepper shakers that say, you're the salt to my pepper. And I was getting ready to put the salt in them uh, because, you know, that's what you use them for. But then I realized that I don't know which one to put the salt in. Because this one says, you're the salt. And if, they're, if these two shakers are talking to each other, which is kind of the vibe I get from this whole thing, this one is saying, you're the salt. And then this one goes, to my pepper. So, because, so this one's saying that it's not the salt. And this one's saying that it is the pepper. So are they both pepper? Because I don't know if this makes any sense to anybody else, but like, is this one supposed to be a mixture of salt and pepper? Because this one's saying it has salt in it. Or is it just, it says the word salt on it, so I put salt in it. This says pepper on it. I have no idea what's going on. Okay. 
How many of you, raise your hand, did that video make sense to you? Raise your hand. Okay. If your hand is raised, you're going to struggle with the book of Revelation. Okay? If that's you, you're in trouble. Now, take a look at the still shot. Here's one thing we should all know. What does his shirt say? Engineer. This is not the book for you engineers. Okay? If you're an engineer, take a back seat. Okay? If we're building a bridge, we're calling you. If we're interpreting the poetic, we're not calling you. Okay? The book of Revelation, and if you didn't get that, that's poetic. You're probably an engineer. You didn't get that reference. Okay? The book of Revelation, it's not poetic, it's apocalyptic. But it says things in over-the-top images. You're going to hear about a dragon, and you're going to hear about a woman, and you're going to hear about a serpent, all these things which are big images. And if you try to salt and pepper shaker this thing to death, you're going to miss the point. Because what it's trying to say is the point of Christmas, on the one hand, Jesus was born to a pair of poor Palestinian peasants. An overly faithful fiancé and a scared teenage girl who's full of faith at the same time. And this boy will grow up and challenge the status quo and eventually the status quo will challenge him back. And on the one hand, that is exactly what happens at Christmas. But on the other hand, it is a story of dragons, of serpents, of a little boy, of destruction and also of life. Both things are true. One is told from the world's perspective, and there is another told from a cosmic perspective from heaven. And that's what we get from the book of Revelation. If you're physically able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word from Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 1. A great portent appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains. In the agony of giving birth, then another portent appeared in heaven, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bear a child so that he might devour her child as soon as it was born. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was snatched away and taken to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, so that there she can be nourished for 1,260 days, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back, but they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven proclaiming, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our comrades has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. But they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they did not cling to life even in the face of of death. Rejoice then, you heavens and those who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you with great wrath, because he knows that his time is 
short. So when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Revelation is written by a man named John. John is placed into exile in an island called Patmos. Instead of being martyred, they think they can put him out to pasture on this island where he can do no harm against the empire of Rome. But instead, he writes this beautiful book, which we know as Revelation. And he tells this story. It's a story about a dragon and a mother and a child. A story which they would have heard and gone, we, we know this story. We know the story about a dragon, a mother, and a child in an island, a Greek island. The names that pop into their head are Zeus, and Leto, and Apollo, and Delphi, right? This is a story that the original audience, they knew this story. It would be the equivalent of going to te- place anyone in Texas and saying three words. Actually, you don't even have to say all three of them. You can just say the first two and the rest of the room can fill in the last word. Because if you go to a Texan and say, remember the, we all know how it ends. Remember the Alamo. It's a story about a battle that we can jump back to even if you just give us a few little clues. In Rome, in a world that knew the way that Greek and the Roman gods were, they know this story. Uh, Let me go to this map right here. In this map, you see this is the island of Patmos. This is the Greek island that John is exiled to when he's writing this letter. Just a little hop over here is another island, Delos, which the Greeks knew all about. It's the story of the sun god Apollo's birth. And it goes like this. Zeus and Leto have a child, and the child's name is Apollo. But the dragon named Python wants to kill Zeus's child because darkness always wants to do dark things. And so to flee from the dragon Python, Leto goes to the island, Delphi, flees over there and hides away from the dragon Python. Eventually, Apollo grows up, and go to the next image right here, and Apollo gets his bow and arrow and hunts down the dragon Python, who's trying to kill his mom, Leto. And with his bow and arrow, the dragon Python is defeated, and a golden age is given. And a golden age is experienced. This is the story that Nero and Augustus and all of Rome told. Because they were trying to say that Rome brings in this golden age. It's the age of Apollo that Rome is bringing. And that is the mother that gave birth to the one who defeats darkness. Augustus and Nero often fashioned themselves as Apollo. Augustus described his age as a golden age. He's saying he's the new Apollo. Nero, there's actually coins of Nero's head that has the sunlight emanating from his head because he's saying, I'm the sun god Apollos. There are actually statues of Nero in which he looks like Apollos. So so John tells a story, a very fleshly story, which they all know of darkness being overcome by goodness. Except he spins and says, this isn't 
that story. The one who overcomes darkness is not someone who's given birth by Mother Rome. It's, it's not from Rome, it's from Israel. And the child that defeats darkness, it's not Apollos. It's the one that the Jewish scriptures have prophesied about. It's the fulfillment of the words from Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis 3, scripture says these words, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent tricked me, and I ate it. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you among all animals, and among all wild creatures. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. The one who strikes the head of the serpent is the child, not of Rome, but of Eve. And then the prophet Isaiah writes these words. On that day, on the day to come, not these days, but on that day... The Lord with his cruel and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will kill the dragon that is in the sea. What John the Revelator is saying is that you all know the story of darkness, but let me tell you how it ends. That there is a child that comes not from Rome, not from Mother Rome, or not from Mother Russia, not from Uncle Sam, but from Israel. And this child is born as a descendant of Eve who will crush the head of the serpent, who will defeat darkness. And now in the day to come, the hero has stepped onto the stage. The hero has now been revealed and it is Jesus the Christ. And this is the one who will overcome all darkness. And he is now on the stage. And what you all need is not the arrival of a military leader who can vanquish all your foes. What you need is not more power and control for yourself. What you need is not more of you, but what you need is this one who will defeat darkness and evil. Because you no longer need to live in these days because those days are coming. The hero has been revealed, and one day the hero will finish this battle once and for all. And this is the story of Christmas. This is what the story of Christmas is all about. Now, when it comes to Christmas, it seems that there are some peculiar characters that always show up. A couple years ago, up in British Columbia, a department store sent sent out in a local newspaper an advertisement that they thought would get people to come to their department store to buy presents. Uh, Take a look at this ad in the uh, British Canada uh, newspaper for Dillard's. It says, to come for a Christmas uh, craft fair at 10 to 2, uh, Captain Thunderpants, which we all love, at 10.30, and then at 11.15, you can get your pictures made with Satan. (laughs) Only in Canada, right? Right? Don't let anyone in. They're very friendly. The wrong red suit, right? That's what happens. Pictures with Satan. Satan's always showing up at the wrong time. So do dragons too, right? If if you go back farther than just a few years ago, back into the time of Christopher Columbus, when when maps were made that depicted areas that they didn't know what actually existed there, cartographers had a creative way of depicting areas which they didn't understand. 
Uh, let me show you. This is actually a, uh, a globe from the 1300s. It's the Lenox globe. And you notice that these Europeans kind of have some picture of where they live, but across the Atlantic Ocean, which they've never been, they don't know what exists there. And so what they depict right here is a sea monster right here, and there's one down here, and there's a tail right here. Uh, fast forward to here's a map from 1570. A little bit clearer. But in the middle of the map, you have the, the ocean, but right here you have sea monsters. It was a common occurrence in these old maps when they were trying to depict some area they didn't understand. They would just write, dragons be here. Dragons be here. When you don't know what that is, when it's beyond something you can fathom and understand, you just say, there is a dragon. And some of us this Christmas, we're going to be surprised at who shows up because we're going to step into some time, into some space, into some existence, which is unknown to us. And it might feel like a dragon exists there where you feel darkness and negativity, where you feel uncertainty, you feel anxiety and fear. And when you feel those emotions, may you remember the message of Advent that says the hero has already stepped onto the stage. And though you might be in dragonatory right here and right now, you know at the second Advent that one day in those days, when the hill of the Lord will be high above everything else, and the Lord will take the weapons of destruction from the dragon, from the serpent, from the devil, from the accuser, and turn them into a tool of abundance and feasting, that all things will be right. And so when you step into dragon territory, you do it with hope. Step into it with hope. The year was 1978. It was November. Doyle's Masters was a preacher in his 40s. He was a father and a husband. And he gotten the word from his doctor that no one wants to get, that it's cancer and it's malignant. And in 1978, there was not much treatment for the kind of cancer he had. And so this father and husband stands before his congregation that next week and reads these words. The options open to me medically are minimal and at best do not promise renewed energy nor longevity. The other option is to turn this over to God in faith for his healing and ultimate will. This we have been directed to do by God after much prayer and spiritual surrender. What the future holds, we do not know, but we know God holds it. My Thanksgiving list is made this year, not from what I have, but from who has me, a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or think. My Thanksgiving list this year is not that I will stay away from dragon territory. My Thanksgiving list is not that I will stay away from darkness and the enemy. My Thanksgiving list is not that I will never have to step into the unknown, which I don't want to be in. My Thanksgiving list is... I know the one who has me, and I know the end of the story. 
And I know that maybe in these days there is nothing good, but I know one day in those days the judge will set all things right. And so what I hold to is not my life. What I hold to is not my comfort. What I hold to is not what makes me feel happy. What I hold to is the one who will make me whole one day. Because even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death and there are dragons and serpents and the Satan and the accuser all around me, what I hold to is the one who holds on to me. And maybe you're there. And maybe what you've stepped into feels like dragon territory for you. And it's easy to look to your right or to your left and to be afraid because what is around you is exceedingly terrifying. But the message of Advent is not that you're never going to be in dragon territory. The message of Advent is that one day the one who will defeat all dragons and defeat all darkness and defeat all evil is already holding on to you. And so hold on to hope. That's the point of Revelation 12. This is how the chapter ends in verse 17. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her children. And this is who those children are. Those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. Darkness, the accuser, the enemy, is trying to attack those who hold on to Jesus, who hold on to the hope of how the story ends, who hold on to the hope that at the second arrival, that the second advent, that it will all be made right. These are the words that those of faith hold on to. This is Revelation 21. This is how it all ends. When the heavens and the earth are brought together, and it is finally on earth as it is in heaven, it will look like this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more where dragons live. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God, and they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. All things are being made new. And so may you have the faith of a child. That trust that you don't have to make all things new, that you do not have to win the battle, that you do not have to overcome. All you have to do is hold on to the one who does. And in light of the second coming, may you hold on to the faith in the in-between, even if where you stand today is dragon territory. So my message for you is this. If you have hope, hold on to it. If you have hope, Hold on to it, no matter where you're standing. No matter what's in front of you, no matter the diagnosis that you've been given, hold on to hope. And if you don't have it, I pray that you'd find the one who can give it to you. Because dragon territory is no place to be by yourself. And you don't have to be by yourself. Because there is the one who overcomes who's waiting for you. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for Jesus who is victorious over all things. The one who has defeated the dragon, who has defeated death, who has defeated darkness, who takes the weapons of the enemy that are used for destruction and chaos and death and instead molds them into something that brings abundance and feasting. And God, may we live in these days right now and not get caught up in living by bread alone and not, be, and not just be thinking about our security and paying the bills. But instead, may we know that we live by every word that's spoken by you. And your words speak of a day to come when you will arrive again and make all things new. There will be no more seas which hold the dragons. There will be no more chaos. There will be no more darkness. There will be no more distance from you. And in light of that hope, may we cling to you. And so in moments where we feel lost and abandoned and struck down and persecuted and broken, may we remember that you are the one who is making all things and making us new again. May we feel your hope. May it draw us forward, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Because we know that we are not alone, but you are with us. God, for those of us who feel alone, may we know that we're not. We pray this in the name of the conquering King, Christ our Lord. Amen.